Hey, Fidelity. What's it cost to invest with the Fidelity app? Start with as little as $1 with no account fees or trade commissions on U.S. stocks and ETFs. Hmm, that's music to my ears. I can only talk. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Zero account fees apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Zero dollar commission applies to online U.S. equity trades and ETFs and retail Fidelity accounts. Sell order assessment fee not included. Some account types and securities excluded. Details at fidelity.com slash commissions. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE SIPC. Experience the joy of running in the new Triumph 22 from Saucony, the original running brand. Stacked with luxury foam cushioning, Triumph 22 turns miles into smiles with the ultimate blend of comfort and energy return. Shop Triumph 22 at Saucony.com. That's S-A-U-C-O-N-Y.com. Hello, friends, and thanks for joining me this week. My name is Laura Adams, and I'm a finance and small business expert and author who's been hosting the Money Girl podcast since 2008. My mission is to help you get the knowledge and motivation to prioritize your finances, build wealth, and have more security and less stress. I create every show to make sure you come away with practical advice and actionable strategies to use right away so you can take your financial life to the next level. Be sure to subscribe to the show and participate by sending me your money questions or comments. I always love hearing from you. There are a few ways you can do that. One is to leave a voice message 24-7 on our voicemail line. That's at 302-364-0308. You can also send me an email using the contact page at lauradadams.com. Or you might connect with me on Instagram at lauradadams. And if you'd like to read a companion blog post for this or any show, they're published every week in the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. Today's episode is number 693 called What Every First-Time Homebuyer Should Know. I'm doing a series of shows this year geared toward first-time financial moves. But stay with me if you're already a homeowner, because I'm going to cover lots of tips that will help if you decide to sell your home and buy another one. And here's something else you may not know. In a lot of cases, a first-time homebuyer can actually be someone who previously owned a home but has not owned a home for several years. So maybe you've been renting a home, let's say. Different government programs and tax benefits define this first-time homeowner status differently. So you always want to let a potential lender know if you did own a home in the past, but you've been renting or maybe living with somebody else for the past couple of years. You may be surprised to find out that you actually qualify as a first-timer. Now, before we get deeper into today's show on homeownership, I'm going to cover a couple of your recent questions. One comes from New from Sacramento, who says, Hi, Laura, I'm a new listener to your podcast, and Roth IRAs finally make sense. I'm 38 years old and would like to open a Roth IRA. I wish I had opened one up when I was in my 20s. Lately, I've been hearing about investing in an IRA with precious metals, such as gold, silver, platinum, etc. And of course, I love accounts with no fees. So how do I know which Roth IRA is the best? Thank you, New. I'm so glad that the podcast has opened your eyes to the amazing benefits of a Roth IRA. And don't worry about not opening one in your 20s. There's not much you can do about that now. What you want to do is just focus on the the financial moves that you can make today 
and going forward to make financial progress. So while a Roth IRA does require you to contribute after-tax money rather than pre-tax money, like with a traditional IRA, the Roth IRA allows you to make tax-free withdrawals in retirement, which is amazing. Retirement accounts are simply places where you keep cash and investments so you get various tax benefits. And you can get a Roth IRA at most investing firms, banks, credit unions, and even some insurance companies. Choosing the right Roth IRA comes down to things like the customer service, the user experience, fees, and investment choices. So with it, with customer service, you know, things like, are they able to answer your questions in a timely manner? With user experience, I'm talking about things like, do they have an intuitive online account or do they have a mobile app? With fees, there are some Roth IRA providers that will not charge any fees. Some may charge a small monthly or annual maintenance fee known as a custodial fee. It could be $25 or $50 a year. But others may not charge a fee, especially if you're already a customer. Maybe you have an account with a bank or a policy with an insurance company that also would offer a Roth IRA. And with investment choices, most of these accounts are going to offer mutual funds or exchange-traded funds, which don't vary too much from account to account. But maybe you're looking for something special, a specific product. Maybe you want funds that invest in precious metals, as you mentioned, or in real estate or currencies. You will need to review a Roth IRA's menu of options to see what they offer. But if you're like me and you're just looking for broad market exposure, most Roth IRAs will offer plenty of investment choices for you, such as index funds. These are made up of hundreds or even thousands of underlying investments, such as stocks and bonds, and the fund aims to mimic an index, such as the NASDAQ or the S&P 500. So new, I would say, getting started contributing to a Roth IRA as soon as possible is way more important than trying to scrutinize between a bunch of different accounts. I've been using Betterment for more than a decade for my retirement accounts, and I've been very happy with their diversified portfolio, fees, and they have a terrific app. They also make recommendations based on your indicated risk tolerance and how much time you have before retirement and your goals, etc. And they automatically rebalance so that you maintain the risk level that makes you comfortable. Now, this is not an advertisement for benefit. They are not a sponsor of the show. I'm just telling you my unique experience with them, and I've been quite happy. So that's just one of many options. New, I hope this helps you get started. Go ahead and open that Roth IRA and max it out ASAP. I got another question from Marley G, who says, My fiancé and I are saving up to build a house on family property. We're reaching out to home builders for quotes. My understanding is that the mortgage process is different for building a home versus purchasing an existing home. I'm wondering if our contract should account for changes in lumber prices or even cap potential increases. 
Marley, thank you for your question. Yes, building a home is a very different financial transaction than buying an existing home. A construction lender goes on faith that you will build a quality home and the contractor will do everything they promise in the contract. So they don't pay out the entire loan amount when the project begins. They require you to submit your house plans for their review and they only pay you portions of your loan at preset stages. These are known as draws. For instance, you may receive a draw to get started, a second draw once the foundation is completed and inspected, a third draw once the roof is up and inspected, and so on. There are two basic types of construction loans. They are construction only and construction to permanent. Marley, I'm going to recommend that you look into a construction to permanent loan because it simplifies the process. Otherwise, you have to pay off the construction only loan right away by getting a regular mortgage. And doing this twice comes with more hassle and cost. So the construction to permanent just kind of simplifies the whole process for you. And it may save you a good bit of money. Local banks and credit unions may be the best places to shop for construction loans. That's because they're going to be involved in the project and they're going to require inspections and local appraisers to sign off at different stages of the job. Marley, as you mentioned, there has been a shortage of lumber and higher shipping costs lately due to the pandemic. Those are pushing up the cost of new homes. However, we are starting to see that trend reverse. Nonetheless, to protect themselves from future price increases, many builders add escalation clauses or what are called shared price clauses to their contracts. That allows them to raise the home price accordingly based on lumber prices or the final cost that they end up paying for all of your building materials. They're going to be much more concerned about protecting themselves than allowing you to add contract language that protects you. So it comes down to finding a builder that won't include escalation causes that are, you know, just out of line, that won't cause you to overpay or go over your budget. You've just got to shop around, compare offers from several builders. That's going to be your best bet. Thanks again to New and Marley for those questions. And I will say that several of the tips we're going to cover in today's show apply to anyone looking for a construction loan to build a new home instead of buying an existing property. So let's jump into today's topic, which is episode 693, What Every First-Time Homebuyer Should Know. Becoming a first-time homebuyer is always super, super exciting, but it's a journey that you've got to prepare for carefully so that it helps your financial life and doesn't hurt it. Getting to the closing table involves many steps you should consider before you leap into home ownership. So this podcast will cover 10 things every first-time homebuyer should know. You're going to learn how to prepare your finances, find the right mortgage, work with real estate professionals, and even when to step back and wait to buy a home. So here's what you need to know to pave a smooth road to your new home. Number one, Credit is a critical factor for paying less. The first step in your journey toward homeownership should be checking your credit reports and correcting any errors. Mortgage lenders are going to review your credit reports and one or more of your credit scores to evaluate you. So you want to know what's in your credit report before they do. Good credit scores indicate that you're more likely to repay a loan on time than if you have poor scores. 
So these credit scores can make the difference between being approved or denied for a mortgage and getting the terms that you want. Higher credit scores allow you to get approved for a loan with a competitive interest rate, and that can save you thousands or even tens of thousands of dollars over the life of your loan. Let's say you've got excellent credit and a FICO score of 760 or higher. If you get a 30-year fixed-rate mortgage of $250,000 with a 2.5% APR, you're going to pay just over $100,000 in interest over the life of that 30-year loan. But let's say you get the same loan, but you've got a credit score of 659 you could end up paying close to $160,000 in total interest. That means you're spending $60,000 more in interest over the life of the loan. That's a lot of money for having subpar credit. So to get the best mortgage rate possible, always check your credit reports from the three national credit bureaus. They are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. You can get them at each of those bureau websites Or you can access all three of them at the official credit site, which is annualcreditreport.com. You don't have to pay for them. So if you get to a site that's asking you for a credit card number, you are at the wrong site. And you can get those reports at annualcreditreport.com for free once every 12 months. And I think even now during the pandemic, they're offering them more frequently. So again, you shouldn't have to pay for them. Once you receive your reports, look for errors such as incorrect account balances, payment dates that are wrong, or any personal information that is just you know wrong or outdated. If you find problems, you want to file a dispute on the credit bureau's website. If there are incorrect account payments or balances, definitely contact the creditor to ask for a correction. You might want to call them on the phone and then also send a request in writing just to back that up. Since credit disputes can take months to clear up, you want to review your reports as early as possible. I'd say at least six months before you plan on applying for a mortgage. Unfortunately, any valid late payments or negative information in your credit history that is going to remain in your file for seven years. But the good news is that over time, they tend to have a diminishing effect on your credit scores until they eventually fall off your credit reports after the seven-year mark. One way to show lenders that you are a good credit risk is to pay off any past due balances that you may have before applying for a mortgage. However, be aware that making a payment on an old debt can restart the statute of limitations in some situations. That would allow a creditor to sue you. So I would say if you have an old debt, it really is best to consult with an attorney before paying it off. Now, if you have a a debt that's gone into collections, let's say within six months or a year, in a lot of cases, you have not reached the statute of limitations, which is typically anywhere between three and five years. It does vary from state to state. So, you know, if you've got a recent past due debt, that's a situation where you want to be sure and clear that up. All right, the second thing first-time homebuyers need to know is that lenders evaluate your debt-to-income ratios. So once you've reviewed your credit and you've cleared up any incorrect information, look at your debt-to-income ratio, or DTI. Lenders use DTI to evaluate your financial ability to repay them. To calculate your DTI, what you do is simply add up your monthly debt payments and then divide that figure by your gross monthly income. 
Most lenders require a DTI of no more than 40%. Some may even say no more than 35 or 36%. And that's going to include your new mortgage payment. And typically, lenders require that the new mortgage payment add up to less than 30% of your income. So if your DTI exceeds the lender's limits, you may need to pay down some of your debt to get approved. But every lender is going to be a little different in how they evaluate you. So it does depend on their underwriting requirements. So it may be worthwhile to pay down some debt before applying for a mortgage, as I mentioned. And I created a really handy calculator that you might like to use for help figuring your DTI. You can download my debt ratio calculator. It's free. You simply have to send me a text message to get it. Text the phrase my debt, M-Y-D-E-B-T, with no space between my and debt, just my debt altogether. Send that to the number 33. 444, and you will get the debt ratio calculator right away. This free tool is going to prompt you to list out all your debts, list out your income, and then it automatically calculates your DTI, and it shows you how your number measures up. Money Girl is sponsored by Claritin. If you're like me and you suffer from allergies, you know this time of year can be pretty rough. There's a lot of sneezing, itchy eyes, congestion, and they can really hold you back from living the life you want to live. Luckily, for those with allergies, you can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This is a product designed for serious allergy sufferers. It's got two ingredients in one pill that relieve allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double-action combo of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant relieves all the symptoms that you suffer. And what I love about Claritin D is that it starts working in as little as 30 minutes. Plus, it's non-drowsy, so you can still make the most of your day. I can take Claritin D and then get on the mic and record a podcast without being too congested. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. The third thing you need to know is that your savings must include a healthy down payment. You're going to need to save for a down payment because conventional lenders do not finance 100% of a real estate purchase. It typically ranges from 3 up to 20% of the home's purchase price, depending on the type of loan you apply for and the lender's requirements. And also, it will depend on things like your income and your credit. But putting down as much money as possible is a good thing because it allows you to get a lower interest rate and a lower loan balance. That translates into a lower monthly payment. 
If you don't have enough money for a down payment, there are some assistance programs out there, and I'll put some links in the show notes. Again, you'll find them in the Money Girl section at quickanddirtytips.com. In addition to a down payment, you owe more money at closing. Here are some of the typical expenses that buyers have to pay. A loan origination fee, an appraisal fee, a home inspection fee, mortgage discount points. This is uh, optional, but it would allow you to qualify for a lower interest rate if you pay discount points. You typically have a survey fee and a deed recording fee. And it is possible to negotiate some of these closing costs with the seller to reduce your upfront expenses. Uh, However, in case you can't strike a deal, you want to be sure you've got enough saved. And this is a great thing to ask your lender about because the closing costs that are customary will vary from state to state. So be sure you're clear on, on what it is you'll be expected to pay. All right, the fourth thing you need to know is that your mortgage payment includes multiple expenses. The cost of buying a home is not limited just to repaying your mortgage. Your monthly payment typically also includes private mortgage insurance, or PMI. This protects your lender if you default on your loan, and it is required when you get a conventional loan and you pay less than a 20% down payment. A typical PMI payment could range from about half of a percent up to 2% or so of the original loan amount, and, and that's on an annual basis, but then it gets divided by 12 and added to your mortgage payment each month. However, PMI does get canceled automatically when your loan reaches 78% of your home's purchase price. So you don't have to pay that PMI forever. Uh, In addition to PMI, you've got local property taxes, and these vary considerably depending on where you live. Owning an average home could mean paying in the range of $3,000 to $4,000 per year. But again, it's going to depend on the price of the home, uh, where you are, etc., You also have homeowner's insurance. This is required by mortgage lenders in case you have catastrophic damage by disasters like fire, windstorm, and hail. Average premiums vary depending on your things like your credit, your home's location, the value of your home, you know, the state where you live, and all the amenities that your home has. But it could be in the range of about $800 to $3,500 per year. And you may have homeowner association fees or HOA fees. These are required in some planned neighborhoods to pay for the shared amenities that you've got with your neighbors, such as a clubhouse, a pool, a park, or a boat dock. And it covers insurance and maintenance. So HOA fees can vary considerably. They might range from a few hundred dollars a year to thousands of dollars per month, just depending on the community where you live. In addition to these monthly costs for your home, don't forget about ongoing home maintenance and repairs. These may include landscaping, pool maintenance, tree trimming, or any unexpected repairs for broken appliances or systems like plumbing and electric systems in your home. I think it's a really good rule of thumb to budget at least 1% of your home's value to cover maintenance and repairs each year. For instance, let's say you've got a $260,000 home. You would need to set aside $2,600 per year or about $200 per month. All right, the fifth thing first-time homebuyers need to know is that you should never 
go house hunting without a mortgage pre-approval. A mortgage pre-approval allows you to begin working with one or more lenders to shop their offers and find out how much home you can afford. They will look at your finances thoroughly, including your credit, your debt, your income, your employment or your self-employment history, and the savings that you have for a down payment. A pre-approval includes the interest rate and the maximum loan that that lender is going to offer you. And they'll typically put a timeline on it. Maybe they will make it valid for up to 30 or 60 days, enough time for you to go home shopping and find a home. Getting pre-approved is a critical part of establishing your budget before you begin house hunting. Additionally, it tells a real estate agent and a seller that you are a serious and qualified buyer. But note that just because you get pre-approved for a certain loan amount doesn't mean that you should borrow the maximum. Instead, be sure to use a mortgage calculator to make sure you can afford the total monthly expenses for a given home. And a good real estate agent will help you understand what that monthly payment will be, which leads me right into item number six, which is real estate agents work to your advantage. Having an experienced real estate professional on your side can help you find hidden listings, negotiate for the best deal possible, and take care of the many required details to get your home to the closing table. In general, when a seller contracts with a real estate brokerage to market their property, they agree to pay a commission. It could be 6% of the selling price. If the buyer has their own agent from a different real estate brokerage, the two firms split the commission, so each would get 3%. And with this arrangement, a buyer has no out-of-pocket cost to work with an agent. So it's really a no-brainer. You, you really have no excuse for not working with an agent. And in some cases, you may even want to work with a buyer's agent. This is a special agent that would be compensated by you, and they have a fiduciary duty to you. They may charge a flat fee or a percentage of the sale to show you properties, including listings that you wouldn't otherwise know about, and provide local market knowledge and expert negotiating skills, hopefully. This expertise is always terrific, but I would say it can be critical to have in a seller's market like we see right now, where it is so competitive for buyers. Item number seven is negotiations begin with your purchase offer. Depending on the market that you're in, you may be able to negotiate a home's listing price. So the first step is to find out if the price is above market value or not. Again, this is where an experienced and reputable real estate agent can help immensely. They should provide you with comparable properties. These are known as comps. They show recent listing and selling prices in the same neighborhood or similar neighborhoods to the house you're looking at. If homes are selling for more than their listing prices, your negotiating power may be limited. So discuss options with your agent that may allow you to stand out from other buyers. Maybe it's being flexible on a closing date. Maybe it's writing a letter to the seller explaining how much you love the home and why you are the best buyer or picking up some of the seller's closing costs. To make a formal offer on a home, you or your real estate agent can prepare a purchase contract. It includes all the details, including the property's legal description, purchase price, earnest money deposit that you've got to put down, terms of possession, proposed closing date, 
the deadline for the seller to respond, and contingencies such as mortgage financing, home inspections, survey, and termite reports. And that leads me right into item number eight, which is unsatisfied contingencies allow you to ditch a deal. This is why contingencies are so key. You've got to have them written into your purchase contract so you can walk away from the deal if you find something you don't like. It could be an aging roof, termite infestation, mold, whatever it is, and get back your earnest money. You can also include other negotiations in your contract, such as asking the seller to pay some of your closing costs or requesting that specific furnishings or light fixtures remain in the home. Again, your negotiating power depends on the market and the seller's temperament. Once you make an offer, the seller can accept it or they can make a counter offer. If they take a contract as is, just, you know, exactly as you present it, then you you have an agreement and you move forward to work through each contingency. But if a seller counters your offer, that means the deal is officially dead unless you accept the counter. Or you could make a counter, counter offer and so on. When you have an accepted offer, the first contingency that you'll need to work on is getting the contract to your lender. They take care of many contingencies, such as ordering a home appraisal and a survey. You or your real estate agent can order inspections and work with other professionals, such as contractors, let's say if you're thinking about doing some remodeling. If your home inspection shows problems or potential problems, you can request that the seller repair them or reduce their selling price. They may not agree to either one, which is why including contingencies in your contract is so important. You can have your earnest money returned and walk away from the deal with no penalty. Item number nine, there's work to do before the closing. So let's say you've been through all of this, you've got a signed contract, you've worked through the contingencies, and you've got your financing. Congratulations. You've come a long way, and you're probably pretty anxious to close the deal and move in that home. But I want to caution you, there's still more work to do. At least three days before your home closing is scheduled, your lender is required to provide a closing disclosure. That details the terms of your loan, your projected monthly payments, and all the closing costs. Review that document very carefully and ask questions about any entries that you don't understand. Also, schedule a final walkthrough. That's your last chance to inspect the property and make sure nothing has changed. And by the way, if you're out of state, you could have your real estate agent do the walkthrough for you, maybe even take some video. Check on the completion of any negotiated repairs. Make sure all the appliances are still there, the fixtures are still there as agreed. Then on closing day, you can either meet in person or do a mail-away transaction using a notary for the documents you're required to sign. This has become a lot more popular since COVID, but I've done many mail-away real estate closings, you know, decades before COVID. So, you know, that's something that is uh, pretty common. At any point of the closing, don't hesitate to contact your lender if you've got questions or you need some help understanding how exactly to fill out the forms. Once both parties sign all the papers, it's time to celebrate. You are now a homeowner. All right, item number 10, my last one. You may want to postpone home ownership. 
So even if you're super excited about becoming a first-time homebuyer, and, you know, there are lots of benefits to it, it may not be right for everyone. Here's some of the benefits. You've got predictable monthly payments. You may pay less than renting in some markets or many markets. You're going to own an asset that should appreciate over time. You get a tax deduction for mortgage interest and property taxes. You can change the decor or renovate a home as you like. And you may have a lot more exterior spaces to enjoy, such as a porch and a yard. But even with all those benefits, becoming a homeowner is not for everybody. If you've got poor credit, let's say you've got very little in savings or lots of debt, It could be a significant barrier to getting a good mortgage. While having some amount of debt won't prevent you from getting a mortgage, it can make it more difficult to qualify or even cause you to pay a relatively high interest rate. As I mentioned, becoming a homeowner means you've got to be prepared for unexpected expenses, which could wreak havoc on your budget. In addition to saving up for your down payment, consider saving at least three months worth of living expenses in an emergency fund before leaping into home ownership because you're going to need to keep a healthy emergency fund. And I would say if you're thinking about relocating for work or family, you might wait to buy a home until your plans get settled. A good rule of thumb is not to buy a home unless you're confident that you would live in it for at least three to five years. That gives you enough time to recoup all your purchase costs. Becoming a homeowner is a big step, and only you know if you're ready to take it. However, if your income is stable, your credit is good, and you've got savings, you're off to a great start when it comes to being ready to buy or build a home. Having your finances in order can save huge amounts on your home loan and your monthly payments, and also leave enough in your budget to reach your other critical goals, such as investing for retirement. I hope this show has been helpful in understanding critical elements of becoming a first-time homebuyer. And before we go, I want to invite you to join my private free Facebook group called Dominate Your Dollars, if you haven't joined already. It's an amazing group of people who are asking great questions, helping others in the group, and reaching very ambitious financial goals. You can just search for the group in Facebook or text dollars, D-O-L-L-A-R-S, to the same number I mentioned before, 33444. Again, text dollars to the number 33444, and I will send you a direct invitation to the group. That's all for now. I'll talk to you next week. Until then, here's to living a richer life. Money Girl is produced by the audio wizard Steve Rickyberg with editorial support from Biana Santora. If you've been enjoying the podcast, I hope you'll consider giving back by taking a moment to submit a rating or review. It just takes a second. And don't forget that the backlist episodes and show notes are always available at quickanddirtytips.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Imagine earning a degree that prepares you with real skills for the real world. Capella University's programs teach skills relevant to your career so you can apply what you learn right away. Learn how Capella can make a difference in your life at capella.edu.